Welcome back to the Lumberhawk Podcast, y'all. Thanks for tuning in. Gotta say it, this is not financial advice. Just a guy with a microphone and an internet connection trying to be educational and entertaining. All right, let's get into it. I get these two questions about mining often, and they're kind of related, so I'm going to cover them both together. The first one is, oh, I just saw a headline the other day that more than 90% of the Bitcoin has been mined. Is it worth it? Should I even waste my time trying to figure this thing out? And the second one is, what happens after all of the Bitcoin has been mined? Won't the network just fall apart? People aren't going to make money. You're not going to get the block reward anymore, right? All right. First one first. So yeah, 90, actually about 91% of all the Bitcoin has been mined as of, what is today, August 11th, 22? Does that mean that getting involved with mining Bitcoin isn't worth it? There's only 9% of it left out there. In my humble opinion, so those block rewards we mentioned, those don't actually expire until 2140. Everyone listening to this, I mean, at least in the year 2022, will very, very likely be dead in 2140. So there will be block rewards for your entire life. So aside from block rewards, now block rewards, I want you to think of block rewards like a subsidy. You know how the US government subsidizes like farmers and all kinds of industries, the oil industry. I don't know. Don't get me started on that. Anyways, think of the Bitcoin block reward as a subsidy that Satoshi Nakamoto put into place in order to promote adoption of the system. He realized that these miners, and we use ASIC miners now, but at the time they didn't, these miners are the computing power that promote network security. It's important to get as many people providing this network security as possible, because without the security of the network, then you run the risk of malicious attacks. And if you allow that kind of behavior to exist, then the network loses value because people won't trust it, right? So the first Bitcoin block, the mining reward for that was 50 Bitcoin. Now, it sounds crazy to us right now, but at the time, Bitcoin wasn't worth anything. And that existed for four years. And then every four years from that point forward, the mining reward, that subsidy we're talking about, got cut in half. So the second period was 25 and then it was 12 and a half. And now we're currently in the fourth period of 6.25 Bitcoin. The next Bitcoin mining will happen in 602 days, five hours, 14 minutes ish. 2024, April 5th of 2024 is when the next Bitcoin halving situation works. Now, this is based not specifically on a time or a day, it's based on number of blocks processed. And since the algorithm auto adjusts to maintain 10 minute blocks, that's an estimation based on that statistic. So this, uh, this block reward, which I'm calling a subsidy, makes mining more profitable than it would otherwise be, which is important in the beginning of the network because you want as much security as possible and you need to have that intact before transaction volume becomes uh, predominant enough to become self-supportive. And the reason why it becomes self-supportive is because every transaction has a transaction fee associated with it. 
and that transaction fee is purely supply and demand. You have a mempool, which, you know, someone explained it to me once as a bus stop, and it's a really good example, so I'll explain it to you that way. Think of a Bitcoin transaction like an individual at a bus stop. Now, this bus comes every 10 minutes, and all the people in line are trying to get on the bus, but the bus doesn't have a fixed price. It's not like your, you know, traditional city bus where every ride is, you know, two bucks or whatever it is. This bus is free market, which means this bus can hold 50 passengers and whatever 50 passengers are willing to pay the most to get on the bus, they're the ones who are going to get on the bus. So if there's 70 people in line, the 20 cheapest people aren't getting on that bus. Now, is that because they can't afford it or because they have patience? I don't know. It doesn't matter. The point is the 50 people who can afford to get on that bus will and the 20 people who can't or won't, won't. So that's the mempool. The mempool is the bus line. 10 more minutes, the next bus will come. Those, 10, those 20 people who are waiting are hoping that they get on the next bus. Now that in, depends entirely on how many people get to the bus stop between now and 10 minutes from now. If another 100 people get to the bus stop and 50 of them are willing to pay a bunch of money, maybe those 20 people who waited for the last bus will continue to wait, or they'll have to spend more. But if only five people show up in the next 10 minutes, then those 20 people plus the five people who showed up will all get on the bus. It doesn't matter how much they pay because the bus is going to pick up the 50 most profitable transactions. In that second bus scenario, the bus is only running half full. But because the algorithm makes a block every 10 minutes on average, that bus is going to leave with 25 people on it. That's okay. The bus doesn't have to be full to drive away. So, back to mining and profitability. The profitability for a Bitcoin miner is really a balancing act between three factors. The easiest one is the price of Bitcoin. That's a factor because when you mine and you get that block reward or you get that transaction fee, it is paid in Bitcoin. And you can turn around and sell that Bitcoin for dollars or ruples or whatever you want. So, the more value that Bitcoin has, the more value that you are getting from the block reward or from the transaction fee. Therefore, more profitable. The second factor is the difficulty of the network. Now, I mentioned earlier that the network auto adjusts so that way a bus leaves every 10 minutes. Well, since the network is run through hash rate. As more miners join the network, it puts more processing power on the network, and therefore the network is able to guess what the next block is going to be more efficiently, and therefore it is more likely to happen quicker. So if you put a whole bunch of processing power on the network all at once, it could actually increase that block speed from 10 minutes down to 9 minutes or 8 minutes or 7 minutes or who knows. It depends on how much you put on there. And we're talking about averages here. Every block is going to be slightly different. The time between blocks is what I mean. But what the network does is every two weeks, it looks at how much time has passed between all of these blocks, takes an average, and it says, oh, in the last two weeks, I should have spit out so many blocks, but we're spitting out too many blocks, which means it's not hard enough. I got to make it harder so that way we slow down how many blocks. So that way we maintain our 10 blocks, or sorry, 10 minute blocks. So it makes that adjustment. So because of this, the difficulty of the network is always going to lag, but catch up to 
Bitcoin price. And the reason that is, is because when Bitcoin price goes up and mining becomes more profitable, it encourages the free market to produce more miners and plug more miners into the network. If you could buy a miner for $15,000 and then your electricity costs were, let's just say, $15,000 a year, just for easy numbers. So your year one costs are $30,000 and the price of, and, and that one miner can mine one Bitcoin a year, again, just for easy numbers. And the price of Bitcoin is $100,000. That's a no brainer, right? Everyone and their brother is going to be trying to get it. Bitcoin miners, plug them in and then, you know, making 2x every year, a little more than 2x rather. So what if the price of Bitcoin is $60,000? Well, now it's a little bit more questionable. $15,000 for the miner, $15,000 for a year's worth of electricity. After one year, you've spent $30,000 and able to get that one Bitcoin and sell that Bitcoin for $30,000, which means after one year, you're break even. Now, it's probably still profitable for you to buy that miner because your costs the second year are only going to be $15,000 because you already paid for the miner. And your profit is still going to be that $30,000, assuming you mine one more Bitcoin and the price of Bitcoin really remains flat. So now you made $15,000 after two years, giving you a return of $7,500 a year on average over those two years. So you're profitable. Now you got to figure out what your ROI is and what other comparable investments would return. And it does that make sense? That's going to depend a lot on your specific situation. And also, the longer that ASIC miner can run, the more profitable you'll become. Because in year three, you have the same cost, $15,000 a year of electricity, $30,000 a year of, of profit. Again, assuming the price of Bitcoin remains flat for this entire example. So now you've made $22,500 over the course of three years. So now instead of making $7,500 a year for two years, you've made whatever that math's out to be. No, oh, wait, sorry, I had that backwards for a second. So you're making $15,000 in your second year, you're making $15,000 again in your third year, you broke even in your first year, so you've made $30,000 total divided by three years. That's easy math, $10,000. So you're making $10,000 a year instead of $7,500 a year. So every year you keep that ASIC running, you're becoming more and more profitable. And that's all math you have to figure out for what you got going on. But let's say the price of Bitcoin is $15,000. You buy that miner $15,000, you're running $15,000 of electricity. After year one, you've lost $15,000. You may mind one Bitcoin, you sold it for $15,000, you're still $15,000 in the hole. Year two, $15,000 for the one Bitcoin you've mined, you sell that, but you've also spent $15,000 on electricity. So you're break even on the year, but you've still lost $15,000 from the previous year. So in this example, you'd be far better off instead of spending that $15,000 on the miner and then a total of $30,000 on electricity, you'd be far better off just going to buy the Bitcoin because now you're running at a loss. So if you're running your miner at a loss, what are you going to do? You're going to unplug it. You're not going to spend that $15,000 on electricity because you're at break even for electricity. You're going to unplug it and you're going to probably just go buy the Bitcoin or do some other investment. And that's going to create less hash rate on the network, which will suffer security because you have less brute force to protect your system. But it will also slow down the speed at which blocks are produced because now you're taking processing power away from the network. 
you slow down that process. And then in two weeks, the network is going to say, oh, we're not producing blocks fast enough. I got to make the network easier so people can guess. Now that the network's easier and you have less miners on the network, but the block reward and the transaction fees are presumably the same, the price of Bitcoin is presumably the same, now you have less computers competing for that block reward which mean, and for those transaction fees, which means more for the people who are left. So those people are now going to become more profitable. So there's always going to be this balancing act between hash rate, the amount of processing power on the network, and the amount of miners on the network, which is why as the price of Bitcoin goes up and the profitability goes up, you're going to get more people on the network. As the price of Bitcoin goes down and the profitability goes down, you're going to get less people on the network, and that's going to balance. Now, the third thing about Bitcoin mining, which I haven't really talked about now a whole lot, is the price of electricity. And at least in this country, I can't speak about other countries because every country is different. And honestly, I just don't know a lot about most of the electric grids in other countries. But in this country, price of electricity are pretty stable. It's pretty reliable, pretty stable. Most people pay a, pay a flat fixed rate regardless of when they use their electricity and they, the utility companies kind of just make it so it balances out for them. Generally speaking, at least in my state, the business rate for electricity is cheaper than the residential rate for electricity, which is why for a lot of people, myself included, it makes more sense to partner with a company that does remote hosted miners rather than doing it yourself at home. Now, I still think I want to have a Bitcoin miner at home at some point. Uh, maybe I'll do some sort of immersion setup just because I like the idea of it and it'll make me feel more connected to the network. But it will most likely be less profitable than paying a company for services for remote hosting that has a cheaper electrical rate than what I personally have in my home. Time for a little bit of a side tangent. Because the price of electricity is one of the three inputs into profitability of Bitcoin miners, that is why you see Bitcoin miners popping up in all of the places that have energy that is either being underused or is oversupplied. So electricity, just like everything else, supply and demand dictates price, unless it's a heavily regulated market. So in an area where you have an excess amount of energy or you have energy that can otherwise be unused, you know, think about like a landfill or, um, or offshore. Okay, imagine if you put a photovoltaic power plant in Antarctica. You could have a huge, massive photovoltaic power plant in Antarctica. Turns out it never snows in Antarctica because it's too cold and there's no dust because there's no dirt. So it'll actually be a really good place for a photovoltaic field. You could have a massive, massive photovoltaic field, you know, the size of Texas. You create all of this power, but what are you going to do with it? It is very expensive to ship power long distances. We have these high voltage, you know, DC power lines in order to do exactly that. But the I squared, the R loss, it won't, you guys don't know what that is. The amount of loss you have to do that the amount of inefficiency because of heat and because of all these other factors, it takes away from the product, right? In this case, being electricity. And because of that, the farther you ship it, the I mean, it's just like shipping diesel, right? The farther you ship it, the more cost it is to get it there. And therefore, when, when it does get there, it has to demand a higher price. 
that's why there's no power plants in Antarctica. Well, I mean, there probably is because they have like base camps and stuff there, but not for like general consumption because getting the electricity here would be problematic, just like offshore wind farms. Offshore wind farms are great, but people don't want to see it. And if you put it far enough away that you can't see it, it's difficult to get it to where the people need it. Well, what if we had access to all these free power sources, whether it be wind farms, geothermal, like all these, all these different things? What if we increased our nuclear energy production, nuclear power plants? So you guys don't know this about me, but I'm a big fan of nuclear power. That's where I started my career, nuclear power. What if we overproduced energy in every way? I mean, ideally without making excessive CO2, right? We, we want good, clean energy. One of the problems with green energy is that we don't have the storage capacity to like do anything with it. And the sun shines when the sun shines, the wind blows when the wind blows. That may or may not be when we need power. Battery technology is, it's come a long way, but it's got a long way to go. We don't really have the capacity to, you know, charge everyone's house up with battery power when the sun is shining and when the wind is blowing. And then when it's not, like they can just live off their, their little, you know, Tesla power wall. We don't have that. The problem with the energy grid now, and this is, you know, basically my day job, is that we only control one side of the grid. We only control the supply side of the grid. And we have all these generators all around the country. And again, keep in mind that shipping electricity long distances is difficult. But we have no control on the supply side. You know, you hear during like a heat wave or during a blizzard, they want people to conserve their electricity because the grid is taxed. The grid has a lot going on and they're worried that it's going to be overused. And therefore they're asking people to use less, consume less, so that way it'll remove some of the burden on the grid so that way we don't end up with you know rolling brownouts, especially during a heat wave or during a blizzard. It'd be the worst time for it. But do people really do that? I mean, I'm sure some people do, but I'm, I know for sure that some people don't because they don't, they don't care. They don't have any like vested interest. All they know is that they're cold and they're going to run their heat or they're hot and they're going to run their air conditioner. I'm not turning it up to 80. It's too hot for me. They'll figure it out. They, you know, quote unquote, they. So what if we had Bitcoin miners in remote locations like Antarctica or offshore wind farms constantly creating basically free energy source power to promote this monetary network, to provide security and stability, transactionary energy required? What if locally we had Bitcoin mining farms all over the place? The more mining farms, the more miners we have, the more secure our network is. I mean, this is we're talking about a monetary network that will hopefully at some point become a global currency. We want it to be super secure. So the more miners, the better for the network, but also the better for the energy grid. Yeah, it'll consume more energy. Consuming energy isn't a bad thing. People could talk about Bitcoin is boiling the oceans, which is ridiculous, but even if it weren't ridiculous... The problem isn't the consumption of energy. The problem is the creation of energy in irresponsible ways. We have the capacity to either create more energy in a clean way or at least push in that direction. And then once we get there, I mean, the sun is free. You know how much uranium costs? You know how much diesel costs? You know how much oil costs? It's expensive. The sun is there.
Wind is there. Tides are there. Geothermal is there. As we develop the these technologies to harness this energy in a cheaper way, which Bitcoin miners can subsidize because Bitcoin miners create take energy and turn it directly into profit, more profitable than utility companies do by a long shot. So you put these Bitcoin miners everywhere. That promotes investment in R&D and the building of more power plants because now you have more supply and you have more profitable supply because Bitcoin miners, again, are more profitable than general electricity costs. And then when we have extreme events, we, you know, we lose a power plant or some natural disaster happens or a heat wave or a blizzard, something like that happens. And the grid is stressed. You don't have to ask your customers who are in their home trying to keep their family warm or keep their family cool to sacrifice in order for the greater good. All you have to do is turn off some of these industrial loads. And you can't do that with an aluminum factory. Either with an aluminum factory, you will cost hundreds of millions of dollars of damage. You can't do that with a hospital, but you can do it with a Bitcoin miner all day, especially since Bitcoin mining is a global industry. And if you take if you take down 1% of the Bitcoin miners, nobody's going to care. I mean, look what happened when China banned their mining, right? They had like 52% of all the miners in China, which was was at the time a risk to Bitcoin. I appreciate that they fixed that for us. It was a huge mistake on their part, but all right, I digress. What happened? They took off 52% or so of all the miners all at once. I mean, over the course of like a week. What happened to Bitcoin? Nothing. Bitcoin just chugged along. It did not care. So if we're using Bitcoin miners on the grid to promote R&D and investment into responsible energy production, and we're also using it as a load side control or a demand side control in that when grids are stressed, we just start taking these ASIC miner farms offline. So that way we have the power for the things that we need. The Bitcoin network isn't going to suffer at all. The local community who's going through whatever it is they're going through is going to benefit from it. Oh, and also these power plants are way more profitable. The Bitcoin miners are also more profitable because like what they're doing in Texas right now is there are several Bitcoin miners that are set up to do this exact thing, what I'm talking about. I don't know the electricity rates in Texas. I think that they're seven cents a kilowatt hour for industrial use and like 10 cents or nine and a half cents a kilowatt hour for residential use. Don't quote me on that. But one company I read about recently has a contract directly with the, uh, with the energy provider. I don't remember the name of the company or even the type of plant. It doesn't really matter. And I believe that their contract says that they will consume uh, whatever amount of electricity directly from this plant instead of going through the utility at four and a half cents kilowatt hour. So what does that mean for the Bitcoin miner? That means the Bitcoin miner is more profitable than it would be if it was spending seven or seven and a half cents kilowatt hour, obviously. The catch is that if the grid is in a high demand situation and the energy traders on the grid, if you don't know, there are people who like look at the grid and see where energy is and isn't and needs to go. And, and then they have this whole marketplace where they like ship energy from like this area to that area and everything is paid for. And it's like this whole trading desk situation is way overly complicated in my opinion, but that's how it works. So this, this, this desk is trying to move energy from one place to another. And you know, it tells the utility, Hey, we need, we need more megawatts. And the utility's like, I'm tapped out. I can't do it. 
well, you could turn off this miner. This miner could sell back their power that they were going to get charged four cents, four and a half cents kilowatt hour. And then you sell it on the open grid for 12, 14, 15, 18 cents a kilowatt hour, depending on what the situation is, because free markets. And now that electricity is making way more money than it would have had it been going to Bitcoin for the utility company. Yeah, the Bitcoin miner shuts down for a little while, so they're losing money right now. But their price of electricity, I mean, I know it's with a contract and all this stuff, but had that contract did not exist, their price of electricity would have gone up and they wouldn't have been profitable anyways. Meanwhile, the grid operator gets to take energy that would have otherwise been going to this industrial use and put it where it needs to go for the stability of the grid. Like everyone wins in this situation. Everyone is making more money. Everyone is more reliable. And the average citizen is more secure in their energy needs. I know this was supposed to be a a chat about Bitcoin mining and is it still profitable? And I'm still talking about that. So if Bitcoin mining can fix the grid, can fix the fragility of the grid, that gives it a ton of value. Oh, but what about after that, you know, 2140, we're all going to be dead, right? But that's not my answer. We're all going to be dead is not the answer. The answer is you're still going to have those transaction fees. Even when the subsidy goes away, even far before this, I mean, you know, in what was it? 2024, we're going to go down to three and change Bitcoin as a subsidy. And then we're going to go down to like one and a half. And then we're going to go down to 0.75 or whatever, whatever it works out to be. At some point, probably in the next 25 years, these subsidies are going to be less important than the transaction fees anyways, in which case the market is going to balance itself. Bitcoin miners will always be profitable because if they're not profitable, they will unplug. At some point, most transactions, most small scale transactions going to buy milk and bread or going to get your coffee or filling up your gas tank, it's all going to be done on the Lightning Network, which is essentially free because it is not a finalized layer one transaction. And then, you know, once a week, once a month, once a year, whenever you or the vendor, whoever is, has that channel open, wants to close out that channel, that will create a layer one final solution payment situation, which will incur a transaction fee. That transaction fee will be paid in order to facilitate the finality of that payment. That transaction fee is what will keep Bitcoin miners profitable. If it's not profitable, Bitcoin miners will unplug, less miners will be on the network, and therefore the algorithm will get easier and they will be able to do all the same stuff for cheaper, still charge that same transaction fee because there's less transactions and then therefore profitable. The whole thing will always balance out. Does it matter if that subsidy exists or not? I should also mention that the average lifespan of an ASIC miner, if you were to buy one today, and depending on who you ask, is anywhere between like three and seven years. Uh, I, I see a lot of people saying four and five years. I personally believe that if you do an immersion bath setup, they should definitely last like seven to 10 years. I think you're actually more likely at risk of them being outcompeted just because of you know technology, technology growth and uh, new chips becoming faster and more efficient and them making your chips uh, less profitable by proxy and therefore if it's less, again, if it's less profitable, it gets unplugged. So yeah, not only is Bitcoin mining still going to be always profitable as a general field, 
I'm not saying your Bitcoin miner will be profitable. It depends on your situation, and your situation might not be the same as someone else's. Your electricity rates might not be the same as someone else's. But Bitcoin mining will always be profitable because that's how free markets work. That subsidy, that block reward, isn't going to go away for another 120 years. But sometime before that, it won't matter. And network security is always going to be important in order for adoption to exist. So hopefully, global adoption is robust enough that that subsidy is no longer required in order to convince people to join the network to promote that security. The only thing that has to happen in order to facilitate what I just said is that the price of Bitcoin has to go up. As the price of Bitcoin goes up, miners become more profitable, more miners join the network, network adoption grows, more use on excuse me, more use on the network. Therefore, the price is going to go up because more people are using it, there's more demand. As the price goes up, miners become more profitable, etc., etc., etc. Now, the same thing can happen in reverse. If somehow the world ends up going back to a gold standard and the demand for a hard money asset like Bitcoin goes away, well, then the price goes down, profitability goes down, networks becomes the network becomes less secure because miners have to unplug because it's no longer economical for them to mine Bitcoin. But I don't see a reason why the demand for Bitcoin would ever go down unless hard money economics came back globally. And even then, I would argue that Bitcoin will, will outperform. I mean, the world is a free market even when it's not a free market. Like eventually, the free market will win. And especially when you're considering that Bitcoin is just software. I mean, they can't turn it off. They can't sanction it. I mean, they can kind of make it difficult for people to interact with it or for like fiat on-ramps and off-ramps. They can, they can make that difficult. But I mean, you know, they just outlawed just six months ago, they outlawed all Bitcoin mining and most Bitcoin activity in China. And today at the recording of this right now, 20% of Bitcoin miners still operate in China because it's really difficult to enforce. And obviously, the penalties in China are pretty significant. People are still doing it. 20% is significant. They're like the third largest country doing it. It's wild. Anyways, that's all I got for today. I think that Bitcoin mining is not only incredibly important to the network and to the the long-term outcome of this thing that I think can really go a long way to making the world a better place, but it's also going to be profitable forever. It has to be. If Bitcoin survives, Bitcoin mining will be profitable, period.